Pastor Christopher McMichael here coming to you from Engrafted Word Church here in Cookville, Tennessee. We want to wish you Merry Christmas, season's greetings. We come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate this time of year. This is my favorite time of year, just because we get to be around family and everybody's hearts change and they, they become a little bit more excited, a little bit more joyful. Uh, we get to celebrate as a nation uh, one day where we all can, to some degree, agree on Jesus and people don't work and they stay at home. And it, it really is an awesome time of year. We want to bring it back to the Bible, though, which is what we've been doing for these last several special services on Christmas. We've been teaching on the origin of Christmas, the origin of Santa Claus, the origin of other Christmas traditions. And I trust you've been watching and, and enjoying it. I want to bring this message back to strictly the Bible. And I want to talk about Jesus Christ, our Savior, our God, our Lord, our soon and coming King. And I want to, since it's the Christmas season, I want to look at the prophecy in Isaiah. Two of them that talk about this season that we are celebrating now. If we ever cast Jesus out, we are altogether lost and hopeless. Jesus Christ said in John's gospel, chapter 15, that he is the vine and we are the branches and we must abide in him if we're going to bear fruit. This time of year is better than any time, I suppose, because it's right now. You should evaluate yourself as a Christian and ask yourself, am I more than just a Christmas and Easter Christian? Am I a every day a week Christian? Am I just going to go to church Christmas Eve and that's the first time I've been in the house of God all year or maybe since Easter Sunday? This would be an awesome time to evaluate whether you still abide in the vine. Jesus Christ said, if you don't bear fruit, you will be plucked off the vine. Now, that may not be something encouraging to hear this time of year, but this is all about Jesus. Let's not make it about you. Let's make it about the promise of salvation. Let's make it about the promise of eternal life. Because though we love Christmas, the real power of God is in the resurrection. And if you've ever truly met the resurrected Savior, you can't help but bear fruit. It'd be a good time to just judge yourself before we start getting into the word here. Are you bearing fruit this holiday season? Not just buying gifts for your kids, that's great. Not just maybe going to Christmas Eve service, that's great. But are you truly bearing the fruit of the Spirit? Can we tell that you're a Christian? Can your family tell that you're a Christian? Or is there no proof yet? Because if there's no proof, and yet you claim to be born again, it may be that John chapter 15 could happen to you. And that is the Lord Jesus will break you off of the vine and he says you'll wither. We don't want that for you. The Lord Jesus doesn't want that for you. So judge yourself in this moment before we get into the word looking at this coming Savior that has already come and has been crucified and raised from the dead. And judge yourself. There's no reason to start the new year being out of the will of God. There's no reason to start the new year being backslidden. Judge yourself. And if you don't see any fruit, just repent right there where you're at, on your couch, on, in your chair. And say, Father, forgive me. I'm fruitless. And you didn't save me for me to be a fruitless Christian. And he'll forgive you. And if you ask him for help, he'll give you help to start bearing fruit. That's his will for your life. Amen. So let's look at this here. We're Christians. We're celebrating the birth of Jesus. But let's see what the prophets prophesied hundreds of years before Christ ever came. And here in Isaiah's book, the book of Isaiah, the prophet, chapter seven, is a very famous prophecy that many theologians, historians and pagans have tried to discount. But we believe it because we're Christians and we're believers. Chapter seven, verse 14 says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
I want you to know that one of the greatest miracles and one of the core doctrines of Christian faith is the virgin birth. This thing comes under attack all the time. I don't understand why. They want to argue that the word virgin there doesn't mean virgin. It means maiden. Uh, well, under Jewish culture, if you were a maiden, it's because you were a virgin. Back in those days, they didn't believe in premarital sex. <laughs> They're not like Americans today where we encourage our 14 and 15-year-old girls to go sleep around and we're not embarrassed when they do. We're not, they weren't like we Americans who give out free condoms and birth control to our teenagers and middle schoolers and we won't let the parents know because parents don't have rights in America anymore. They weren't like that. They were holy people. They were not like America has become where teenagers can have abortions and parents don't have to know about it. As it's because we, we kicked Jesus out of our nation and out of our schools and out of our government, though we were founded on Christianity. A virgin shall conceive, and she did. Her name was Mary. And she brought forth a son, and she named him or called him. He shall be called and is called Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God is with us. And when Mary brought forth the Christ child, the Lord Jesus Christ as an infant, instantly God was with us. And God was about to be with us in a way he'd never been before. And everything God did through the life of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, brought God more and more into the life of mankind. Under the old covenant, they knew God on the outside. And they couldn't really taste or touch or handle him. But they could know him through his covenants. They could know him through his redemptive names. They could walk with him, but they couldn't know him like the disciples in the earthly ministry could. And when baby Jesus, when Jesus Christ was born as a child, now you could taste and handle of the living God in human form. And then at the age of 30 in the River Jordan, Jesus was anointed of the Holy Ghost in power. And he began to go about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God, his father, was with him. And the disciples had him in a way that they had never had him, that nobody could because God was with them. And then at the, res at the crucifixion of Jesus, Jesus Christ was made sin for us. And he died on a cross. And the Bible tells us he went to the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, according to Psalm 16 and Acts 2. But he didn't stay there. According to the prophecy of Jonah and the type and shadow of Jonah, the sign of Jonah, he was raised up from the dead on the third day. And with that, people could be born again and God could be with us in a greater dimension that he'd been with the 12 disciples than he'd been with the Old Testament believers. Now in this new covenant, we have God with us in a way like we've never known it. He's not just on the outside. He's not just the creator. He is the Holy Spirit within us. He is the risen Savior within us. He is all the fullness of the Godhead within us. And now we can truly declare this Christ child that was born as a babe 2,000 years ago, he is truly Emmanuel, God with us. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Emmanuel, God with you, you can right now. You can just bow your head, pray, repent, say, Lord, forgive me. I need a Savior. I receive Jesus as that Savior. He's the only name under heaven given unto men whereby we must be saved. And Jesus Christ will come among you and he will reveal to you his name, Emmanuel. And you'll be able to say, God is with me. And that's called being born again. That all began as a prophecy right here in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. God is with us. I want you to see that that's one of the names of Jesus Christ. This time of year we celebrate his birth, but we can't forget he's with us. You shouldn't let the holidays stress you out. If you let the holidays stress you out, you forget that God is with you. You forget about Jesus. This time of year, it's very tempting to get under stress financially. It's very tempting to get under stress with family. And nowadays, families are more segmented and broken than ever before. 
Sometimes Jesus is the reason your family's broken because you want to serve Jesus and your family wants to go to hell and you just can't have peace at the birth of Jesus, at his birthday. And the Lord understands that. He says, you came, you think I came to bring a sword, uh, bring peace, but Jesus said, no, I came to bring a sword. Don't get under stress about family. Celebrate Jesus. Don't forget God is with you. Don't worry about the economy. Don't worry about where the country's going. God is in control of his kingdom, of his dominion. And if you're his child, he owns you. He possesses you. He holds you. And don't ever forget churches thrive under hostile nations. Churches thrive under persecution. We as Americans have never really known persecution, but we're starting to. But God is still with us. If you come over to Isaiah chapter 9, just one page over in my Bible, you see another very, very, very famous passage about Jesus coming. And again, this is Christmas. As you're watching this telecast, Christmas is only two days away. We want to celebrate the birth of our Savior and keep him the focal point of it. The focal point of Christmas is not Christmas morning and gifts. So that's an awesome part. It's not about seeing family you haven't seen all year, but that's an awesome part. It's not about the big meal. Mom and grandma, maybe dad or grandpa's helping to fix. But that's a great part. It's not about the grandkids or the children waking up. But that's a great part. The part of Christmas we cannot forget is that Jesus was given to us as Savior. He is the greatest gift ever given to men. It doesn't matter if you can't give the ring or the watch or your girl a new car or, or your wife the coat. Or, you ought to give them Jesus. All that stuff will fade away. You can't even remember what you got for Christmas last year. You can't even remember what you gave your kids for Christmas last year that you stressed over. But what does it matter if they don't have Jesus? He is the ultimate gift. And he is who we celebrate this time of year. Here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, very famous three verses excuse me, two verses, for unto us a child is born. Very famous song, too, from Handel's Messiah. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. I want you to see that in these two verses, this was about 500 years before Christ came, so this was prophecy. And not everything from these two verses has been fulfilled yet, but some of it has. We don't see the government resting upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. But it will in the millennial reign. I, I saw a bumper sticker just today and I liked it a lot. It said, I have a God and Savior. I am looking for a president. Sometimes Americans look to their president as God and Savior. If you think any president, Republican or Democratic, can save you, you are deceived. I have a God and I have a Savior. What we're looking to vote for is a president. Now, we just voted and we've got one. But he's not our Savior, and he's certainly not our God. Hopefully, you as a Christian, you're not looking to the government to be your God. What does that look like, preacher? It looks like you're dependent upon them to survive. All around the world, people retire, and they go into senior citizenship without government aid, and God takes care of them. I hope you as a Christian do not depend on the hand of your government, because if you haven't watched the news lately, that hand is growing crooked and crookeder, and miserly, and it's withering, and it's growing shorter. <laughs> and if you're worried about that, I would encourage you to start a walk with Jesus Christ today. The Bible says the government shall be upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. We want that. We have that in the kingdom. We don't have that in governments around the world. Governments are corrupt all around the world. Anywhere you have people, you'll have corruption. 
But let us move on into this verse. His name shall be called Wonderful. That is so awesome. It's no wonder the world wants to mock Jesus and they defile him. It's no wonder that the name of our God and Savior has become a cuss word. People take the Lord's name in vain. Hopefully you don't. Hopefully you're not one of those Christians that uses your God's name as a dirty word. Hopefully you're not one of those Christians that has a potty mouth that wants to pray and ask for God, uh, God help with the same mouth you'll cuss his name with. It is no wonder that it's, it's perfectly acceptable in our society to take his name in vain and say, well, G.D. or J.C. But you can't do that with Muhammad because somebody might blow you up or declare jihad on you. They won't do that. They don't say Confucius, dang it. Joseph Smith, dang it. Buddha, dang it. No, they have to say God, blank. They don't say, well, Joseph Smith. No, they say J.C. And they use it as a cuss word. The reason is because his name shall be called Wonderful. And the devil says, no, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. But the Bible says his name, the name above all names, is Wonderful. Hopefully you see his name is wonderful. If you've ever been saved and born again by the holy name of Jesus, you'll know his name is wonderful. There is no name like the name of Jesus. Even Romans 10 says, whosoever calls upon that name, the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a wonderful name. His name shall be called wonderful. Counselor. Wow, I like that one. That means his name is the one you run to when you need advice. The word counsel means wisdom. It means advisor. It means one that gives you counsel. His name shall be called counselor. We need that. The world, America today, we're scratching our head. You know what? Hopefully, let's do a test on you. Are you one of those Christians that when you have trouble, you go to prayer first or do you Google? Hopefully you're one of those Christians that as soon as calamity hits, you're not hitting WebMD, but you're hitting your knees in prayer. If you hit your knees in prayer, you've come to understand what it means when it says his name is counselor. Are you one of those when you have a financial burden, you run to the bank or you pull the credit card? Or do you hit your knees in prayer and say, Lord Jesus, help me. Take care of me. If you're praying, you found out his name is counselor. What else? The mighty God. <laughs> I like this. This baby Christian, this, excuse me, this baby Jesus, this Christ child born in a manger. He is called the mighty God. Truly, our God is the mighty God. There's no other God like our God. There's no God before our God. There'll never be another God after our God. The Mormons teach, if you didn't know this, the Mormons teach that the God of Jesus or the Lord Jesus, the God of Abraham, he's God, but just the God of this planet. And that there's other planets out there and there's gods over them too. And those gods are equal to the God of planet Earth. They, Mormons agree there's only one God over planet Earth, but there are multiple gods. And yes, God did give his son Jesus, but the God that gave his son Jesus is one of many gods. That's what Mormon doctrine teaches. But you need to know, even Isaiah in another part says, the Jehovah says, the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, is there any other God beside me? Nay, I know not. And if God says he doesn't know of any other gods, guess what? There are no other gods, except he is a liar. But if he's lying, we can't exist because he can't compromise his word. So Mormon doctrine is greatly false. And I'd even proffer this point of doctrinal debate. If the God they believe in is not the same God of the Bible, because their God is one of many gods, then is the Jesus they believe in the same Jesus of the Bible? 
If the origin of that Jesus is not the origin of the God of the Bible, how can it be the same Jesus? How can they truly be saved? It's a question to ask. We're not debating that, though. We want to talk about Jesus. Wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. A child is born. A son is given, the son of God. But the name of the son of God is the everlasting father. How in the world is that? Well, don't forget that also the angel Gabriel told the Virgin Mary, the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and you shall conceive. Right there you see the Holy Ghost coming upon the Virgin Mary, conceiving the Son who's called the Everlasting Father. Right there you have the Trinity in action. A lot of Christians don't believe in the Trinity. I don't know why, but if it takes the Godhead, three in one, the Holy Ghost conceiving Jesus who's called the Everlasting Father, you got the Trinity in action. What better verse do you need to prove it? Right there. He's called the Everlasting Father. He was in His Son, Jesus Christ. They are the one and the same. Even John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's our God. He is the Word. The Word made flesh. His Word is Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the Spirit, but God is a Spirit. And the Jesus is the Word, and it's all the same. And He lives in us if we're born again. And this is, this is the time of year we celebrate His birth. It's an awesome thing. The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You'll never find any peace apart from Jesus Christ. He is the Prince of Peace. And if you lack peace this holiday season, I, I think the Lord Jesus would have me tell you, you've lost focus. He doesn't want you stressed out on His birthday. <laughs> he doesn't want you fretting yourself, going in debt, having marital strife, swiping the credit card at 28.5% interest because you can't manage your finances. For his birthday, for his birthday, he'd like you to receive him and his peace. I would remind you that one of the fruit of his Holy Spirit in your life is love, joy, peace. Maybe the greatest gift you could give to your family this year, dad, is peace. Mom, maybe peace. He's called the Prince of Peace. We need to receive that aspect of our Lord and Savior. He is the Prince of Peace. He's not just wonderful. He's not just counselor. He's not just the mighty God. He's not just the everlasting Father. He's not just Emmanuel, God with us, but He is the Prince of Peace. In fact, that was the declaration that the host of angels gave to those shepherds on the birth night of Jesus. They came and they said, Peace on earth. Peace on earth. Goodwill towards men. Maybe you don't realize God has a good will towards you, but he does. And if you'll realize he has a good will towards you, you'll realize you can have peace in your heart. If the angel said peace on earth, then certainly there's enough left over to fill your heart. Let's move on to verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. I want you to see that first and foremost, when he comes into the earth, he wants to come into your heart. He wants to establish his government, his ruling, his reign, his kingdom. He first and foremost establishes that in the heart of the believer. And I believe the first part of verse 7 here applies to his impact and his influence in our life, in our heart. The increase of his government and the increase of his peace, there shall be no end. If you'll walk with Jesus Christ, he should be governing you more. If you walk with Jesus Christ, his peace shall be increasing more. 
Many Christians never allow God to govern them. And because they never allow God to govern them, they never get to enjoy the benefits of his peace. If you stop and think about it, Jesus is probably the best governor on the planet. He's probably the best leader. He's probably the best president. He's probably the best commander. He's probably the best brother, parent, whatever it is. He's probably the best at it. And he wants to come and establish his kingdom first within us. Even Jesus Christ said the kingdom of God is within And so I like to see the first part of verse 7, though I know it applies to the millennial reign and his rule over all of the earth for a thousand years. I like to view it also, first and foremost, his influence in our life. He doesn't have an earthly kingdom yet where where he's ruling from Jerusalem like he's going to. He has the kingdom, which is the church. But of the increase of his government, there should be no end in your life. Every day it should be increasing. Every day Jesus should be able to take possession of your life more and more. A year from now, next Christmas, he should be governing your life more and more. And if you allow him to govern you, he'll bring you peace. When you have a good governor, there's lots of provision. And the more you let God govern you, the more he'll bring provision into your soul and provision of peace into your heart and the provision of peace into your mind. Little peace, little govern. Great peace, great government. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it. That's speaking of the millennial reign. Jesus Christ will come back after the rapture, after the seven years of tribulation, and he will bring us with him with 10,000 upon 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all the ungodly and their ungodly doings and their ungodly sayings that they, the ungodly, want to do. And at the end of that, he will establish his kingdom from Mount Zion, from the Temple Mount, from Jerusalem. And he will reign there for a thousand years. And if you and I as Christians have been faithful, he'll give us a rod of iron to rule the nations with. He'll give us ten cities. He'll give us five cities to rule. If we've not been faithful, we may be pushing a hot dog stand around Florida somewhere. And that's all we'll get to do in the millennial kingdom. I don't know. I'm making that up. But you're not going to get to do much. But Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. God wants to order your life, to establish it. God wants to establish your life. He wants to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth. That means from that time it was spoken. We'll say from tonight that you're watching this episode, this telecast. From this day forward, even forever, he wants to increase his government in your life. Not the government of the government, but the government of his controlling power and dominion and authority and, and rule and judgment and justice. He wants to increase that in your life. And he wants to order it and he wants to establish it with judgment and justice from this day forward and forever. I'd invite you, dear saint, Let Jesus come into your life more. I know you're born again. I'm not saying you're not, but you can always let him rule more of you. You could always give him more of your heart. How about that as a new tradition? We don't just give gifts to people this year. We give gifts to Jesus this year. I think the thing he wants most is our heart. He doesn't need money. God doesn't need a a bowling ball or a hunting rifle. He owns all the cattle on those hills. He even said one place in the Psalms, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. (laughs) So he's not going to talk to us about what he needs or wants. He is God. The best thing you could give Jesus this holiday, this Christmas, is your heart. And give it to him in a greater measure, a greater portion. Trust him more. 
The verse concludes by saying, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is something that burns in God. The word zeal means to burn. The word zeal also means to be jealous, to be fervent, to want something. The, the wanting, the burning, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish and perform this. You can bank on this, these verses come to pass. Christ has already come. The Son has already been given. And now, since His resurrection till this time forward, He has been establishing His kingdom and establishing His kingdom. And at the rapture and the return of Jesus, the second advent, He will switch gears and further establish His kingdom. And He will rule with a rod of iron for a thousand years. And at the end of that thousand years, He'll give everybody one last chance to accept Him. And if not, He'll cast them into hell forever. The Bible says, behold, the goodness and the severity of God. I think, my opinion, we focus mostly on the birth of Jesus because it's the cute, cuddly, newborn, baby crying in a manger, hands that can barely squeeze, legs that kick, a diaper that must be changed. That's the goodness of God. I believe we're concerned about the severity of God because our God is still an all-consuming fire and our God will still come back with 10,000 upon 10,000 of His saints to execute judgment upon the wicked and the godless. That may be the reason why Christmas is popular and the Resurrection Sunday we call Easter is not. That may be. Nobody wants to talk about the risen Savior that casts out devils and heals the sick and raises the dead. Everybody can agree on a cute chubby baby. UNICEF and all those organizations for starving children they always, and, and poverty, they always put the children with blow flies in their eyes because that gets more money out of our pockets. They don't ever put the adult man who's starving because, eh. We've got to remember that though Jesus' birth is what we celebrate this time of year, it's the resurrection that brings the power. Without His resurrection, we're nothing. Without His resurrection, we're just a baby worshiper. We don't worship babies. We worship the risen Savior. I encourage you with all of my heart, this holiday season, keep Jesus the center. Emmanuel, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He whose government he wants to increase in your heart, both now and henceforth forevermore. Amen. Merry Christmas. God bless you. Have a great holiday. Spend time. Love your children. And don't forget, be a doer of God's word. Have a Merry Christmas in Jesus' name.